Bible, open it to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And eventually we're going to get to verses 17 to 24. But this morning, I, I just got to pause for a second. We're starting a three-week teaching series uh, coming off of Easter, talking about what it would look like to see your life lived to the full, to experience life in 4K. Anybody remember like in the 80s, like the old school TV with the knobs on it? Anybody? Anybody have one of those TVs? Yeah, baby. You had to make sure the setting was just right, and then you had to like hit it a few times, and eventually the, the fuzziness would go away, and you'd be able to see the clear picture. But I didn't care, man, because I was watching He-Man on it, and life was good. Life was good. But how many of us, after purchasing a new 4K television, or like those people that make us jealous, like the curved OLED 4K TVs, you've got one of those. How many of you would like to go back to watching television on something like this? There's always like the one uh, old person in the room that's like, it's bet the old things are always better. I want it the way it was. Most of us would never go back to that. Here's what I've discovered in the New Testament, in the passage that we're going to look at. Most of us, when we think of Christianity, we think of an angry God who have to do some things to please him. He wants to rob me of my fun and have me lead a boring life rather than to actually experience the fun things of life. He wants to give me a bunch of do's and don'ts. And it drives me nuts because it couldn't be further from the truth of what scripture says. John chapter 10, verse 10 is our theme verse for this teaching series. If you're unfamiliar with the gospel of John, written by the disciple John, and very simple Greek because he was an uneducated person. And he writes in chapter 9 of John about how Jesus heals a blind man. And Jesus uses that analogy to tell the Pharisees, look, I came here because you guys are blind and you're about to see. And when you see with God's eyes... It changes your perspective of this life. And by the time we get to verse 10 in John chapter 10, he says these words to those disciples. Our theme verse for the three weeks, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. A reference to the enemy, Satan. He, he goes on and says, I have come that they may have life and what? Have it to the full. Do you feel like you're living life to the full? That you're seeing life in 4K? That you're experiencing a life that is not just some standard version of life, but an extraordinary one? I've been doing this long enough for 17 years. I I know that most of us never, Christian or not, we don't feel like we experience life like that. And I think it's often because we don't get, we don't get, the life that Christ calls us to, and the joy that comes with sacrificing and serving him first. So what I'd like to do this morning, in the short time we have together, is use John chapter 10, that Jesus came to give you life to the full, and use that as the lens for Luke chapter uh, 10, verses 17 to 24. You ready to study God's word this morning, church? Yes. Hope you're ready to study God's word. Verse 17 says this, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. If you're unfamiliar with the gospel of Luke, it was a different accounting of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, only it's not written by John, it's written by Luke. 
Luke was an educated person. He was a physician who traveled the known world with Paul at that time. And he takes firsthand accounts of the early disciples. And he writes it for a guy named Theophilus. He writes Luke and Acts all as one book to tell about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and then how the early church gets started. And so his Greek is much more complex and difficult to translate. And he gives some details that we don't get in other gospels. In this passage, the 72 were sent out two by two to go to a town and tell people about the coming kingdom of God, that the reign of God has begun, that no longer is God some distant being, but he is living and active and with us. And they go from town to town and they're like, I can't believe it. The demons, they even respond. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Dude, that was awesome. Can you picture it? They come back from being on the, the trail together. They've gone out to these different villages and they return to home base. They're like, dude, did you believe it? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Peter, can you believe it? No, I can't believe that either. Did you see what I did? That was unbelievable. And then Jesus shows up and look what he says in verse 18 and 19. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. A reference to the Old Testament book of Isaiah about the morning star falling from the sky. Jesus says, you think that was cool? Like just a few days. I saw Satan fall and cast out of heaven, baby. That's what I've seen. And if you think that's great, look at verse 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Does that sound like a boring life? It says you can trample on snakes and scorpions. That's weird. I thought of like kind of like a self-help seminar this morning. We'd have a nice big pit of snakes up here and you could all make faith walks across the snakes this morning. Who would like to practice that this morning? Uh, We don't have any snake uh, charmers in here. But I read that and I go, God, he, he just sent them out to a place they didn't know anybody, all they took with them was like a coat and that was it and they trusted the Lord was gonna show up. That's not boring, that's scary. And they're gonna rely on God the way that you and I most often never get to experience. He goes on in verse 20, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice, what? That your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All the things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. No one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 23. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Will you pray with me? God, uh, we pause for a moment in the busyness of our lives. We set this beautiful day aside to come and study your word and worship you. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room with us right now. God, speak to us. Help us to hear you anew, to experience a life to the full. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. 
So I picture the 72 walking out, wearing just some sandals and the tunic around their shoulders, walking into town with the dust trailing around them, going into people's homes, telling them about the coming kingdom of God. The reign of God has come. Guys, you've got to come experience this. Nobody believes them. So they begin to pray for people and demons are cast out. People are healed. These miraculous things occur. and Everybody's like, what? I can't believe it. And the 72 that were sent out two by two returned to home base. And they're like, that was amazing. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Isn't it fun when you see God show up? Isn't that fun? Maybe you're here today and you're like many of the people that we started this church for, that it's your first time in a church. I talked to a guy last Sunday, it was his first time he'd ever been to church in years. And, and God is beginning to work in his life. Maybe that's you here this morning. You've not felt and experienced what it was like to know God like that. The early disciples were in awe of it. They were in awe of what God was doing. And some of the times we go, oh, that was great like 2,000 years ago in the New Testament, but that doesn't happen today, right? Last weekend, Easter weekend, uh, five and a half years ago, this church did not exist, or at least it was meeting in our house. We hadn't officially started yet. Last weekend, we had over 1,800 people at our five different services. We saw... Well, here's the cool part. We saw 34 to 60 people give their life to Christ last weekend. You're like, 34 to 60, that's a pretty big variance. Well, let let me tell you what happened during the weekend. It was so cool. We had people praying every service, throughout the service in our prayer room, just asking God to show up. And the first service, uh, we're packed out at five o'clock on Saturday evening. I can't wait for Saturdays. It's coming August, baby. It's happening. And we uh, packed out room. I gave this amazing message. Like, you should have been there. It was, I mean, if those are there Saturday five, it was awesome. And then I gave people an opportunity to give their life to Christ. Nobody raised their hand. It's like, you guys didn't hear that amazing message I just gave. Were you listening? And everyone here must be Christian already. And and then the next service came and people kept praying. And at the Saturday at 6.30, we saw four people give their life to Christ. And and then Sunday morning at the nine o'clock service, seven more people gave their life to Christ. And then at 10.15, here's why we had a variance. So many people raised their hands at the 10.15 service last week. I, I could not count them. I stopped counting. I've never experienced something like that. And I almost got so emotional. I counted to about 15 and then I just stopped. That's why we knew there was at least 34 people that gave their life to Christ. And then the next service at 1130, eight more people surrendered their life to Christ. And then this thing happened. So many people were surrendering the brokenness in their life to the Lord that we had a line out the prayer room door. We had like six or seven people that were there to meet with people and pray. And we had a line out the door. And so don't tell me that God just shows up in the New Testament because I want to go just like those disciples return and be like, can you believe it? Did you see that last weekend? That was incredible. And it was a sacrifice of hundreds of people and volunteers, thousands of people sacrificing in different ways and including financially. It was five and a half years in the making of believing God was actually calling us to plant the church to reach broken and hurting people who are lost and lead them to a God that didn't just want to condemn them, but actually wanted to redeem them and give them a new life, life to the full. And when you begin to see God with that perspective, it changes some things. See, this world, there is no doubt there is evil, there is despair, and we're going to talk about that. There's hopelessness, 
We got Syria. We got North Korea. We got stuff happening just down the road here. Scary times. And yet, I'd like to share with you how even in the darkest of times, this dark world could look bright again that you could see life in 4K, that you no longer lived a standard life, but you had an extraordinary one, not because you or I are great, but because he is. That's what the disciples experience here in this passage, and they can't believe it. So if you're sitting here this morning or watching online and you say, I want to experience life like that, here's how to see life in 4K. It's super simple this morning. I've only got two points. Normally, like, my points have points, but this morning we got two So if you didn't get enough caffeine, you're going to get it. It's real simple. The first thing is this. Know that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Say, well, that's pretty simple. John 10, the first half of that in verse 10, it said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that's a reference to Satan, the enemy, the devil. And I know many of you, you've experienced a lot of evil. So it's not difficult for you to understand that we're in a spiritual battle where evil exists. But for others of you, maybe you grew up like me. And I I had a good family and great parents and good brother and sister. I didn't have a super hard life growing up in a small town in Indiana. And yet... Throughout the course of my life, I, when I gave my life over to Christ 17 years ago, it wasn't until I fully aware of the spiritual battle that was going on for my soul every single day could I actually begin to see God have victories in my life. That our enemy, Satan, comes to steal our joy, kill our soul, and destroy our lives. Now, You'd be right in saying, but Josh, there's only two references to Satan in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the ha-satan, Satan. And you'd be right. Satan in the Old Testament, it means adversary, and it's only referenced a couple of times in the Old Testament. One of them in in Isaiah that we read, and also in in Job, and of course there's the snake back in the Garden of Eden. But I often said, tell people in the New Testament, Satan is referred to many, many times, including by Jesus, like John chapter 10, verse 10. He believed in Satan, the enemy, the spiritual battle that was going on. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you should know that he believed in him and that you need to recognize the battle that you're in or you'll never be able to address it. You see, devil in the New Testament, diablos in Greek, it means accuser or the one who charges. Here, get this, because so many of us, we go throughout our life, we, we surrender our life to Christ, we become a Christian, and then one day we begin to follow him and we fail. Sin gets us again, our addictive patterns come back out again. We have success for a while and then we make a mistake. Hear me on this. It's not God that wants to continue to remind you over and over and over and over again of your mistakes and failures. That, that's not God. He, he, yes, he is a just God. Yes, he brings judgment. Yes, you don't want to mess with his wrath in the New Testament. That's for sure. But the Bible is very clear. He loves you. He created you. Jesus gave his life for you. He overcame the grave for you so that you could know him and be loved by him. He asks you to repent and ask for forgiveness, and he welcomes you with open arms. It's not him that wants you to wallow in shame and guilt and fear. Satan, our enemy, loves to use fear, guilt, and shame to create despair in our lives. It goes like this. When you make that mistake and you fall back into that pattern, 
You start thinking these things in your mind. Oh, man, I guess I'm never going to be one of those Christians that can stop doing some of these things. I wanted to stop lusting. I really wanted to stop that habit. I don't know why I can't stop being mean to people at work or to my children or my spouse. And rather than going, okay, God, forgive me again. I repent, change my ways. We, we become hopeless. Despair sets in. Over time, we become a little jaded and cynical. And look, I'm, I'm as sarcastic as they come. I get cynicism. But the reality is, if you want to see Jesus give you life to the full, when you allow the enemy to use fear, guilt, and shame to own you, you become a slave to those things. Like my friend Mike Foster. He lives in Southern California. He has written a number of books, started a number of ministries. Um, but when he was 19 years old, a young man, he was driving a boat and he didn't see someone in the water and he drove over that person, gave them severe brain damage and physically maimed them for life. And he carried around the guilt and the shame of that for years. Wouldn't even get in water ever again. Could never find joy in his life because he knew that he was just bad. You've been there? was in that, of suffering through that for over a decade, began to realize the scripture actually teaches that it's not God that wants him to wallow in that sorrow. And he began a ministry called People of the Second Chance. He wrote a book. I actually haven't read the book, so it's heretical. Don't blame me, blame him. But he wrote this book to give people and talk about the God of second chances. And he started this thing called prodigal parties where he'd get some people together and they'd throw like a pizza party for uh, someone who was getting out of prison for the first time. And they would celebrate the freedom and then they would tell this person that we serve a God of second chances. And so you are not defined by your past mistakes, failures, and experiences. It's not God that wants you to wallow in that. It's the enemy, the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy you in our lives. Now, here's the good news about that. Reading through the lens of John 10, 10, according to Luke 10, 17 to 19, we don't have to live our lives as a prisoner to the enemy's tactics of fear, guilt, and shame. It says in verse 17 of Luke 10 that we read, the 72 returned to joy because they had power over the demons. It goes on in verse 18. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that there is no temptation beyond what we can bear. You are not owned you don't have to be a prisoner to the enemy's tactics in your life. Because over time, as he slowly allows that to come in your life, one day you wake up and you're like, okay, why did God let this bad thing happen to me? I gave my life over to him. I thought everything was supposed to get better. And you begin to blame God for things. You begin to blame other people. You become cynical, even angry, even frustrated at people. I, I see so many Christian and not who experience this type of tension in their lives. And, and don't hear me this morning. I'm telling you just some self-help garbage that just think positively and all of a sudden your life's going to be better. We will have pain and suffering this side of heaven. The Bible is very clear on that. It's what we do with that that is different. It's what we do with that that is different. We are not going to let the enemy cause us to live in hopelessness because we know the one who brings hope in the darkest 
hours. His name is Jesus. So I told you it's simple. How do you see life in 4K? Number two, no, Jesus came that we may have life to the full. The second half of the verse in John 10, 10, B, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, see, Jesus didn't just come so that you wouldn't get to do fun stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you think, well, if, if I gave my life to Christ, I'd start ha- stop having fun on the weekends. I couldn't drink as much. I'd have to stop inhaling some of the things that I inhale. I'd have to start, you know, living my life a little bit more differently. I couldn't have the sexual freedom that I desire in my life. I just, why would I do that? Right? Some of us, we feel like that's the life that God is calling us to lead, this life of rules and and regulations. And certainly those things can be destructive in our lives. Or or others of us, we think God just wants to make us do a bunch of stuff we don't want to do. Like, I just go to church every week. You want me to start giving my money and you, you want me to start being nice to people? I don't want to be nice to people, right? Come on, don't judge me. You think this way too. Like, that's how we think. Think that doesn't sound fun. We think, I don't want to just be this like Ned Flanders type of person. You know what I'm talking about? Hi, diddly ho, neighbor. Like, that's how you're going to lead. And it's like, you got all this little perfect box that you live in. I don't want to be like that. Tell me where you see that in the Bible. Because what I just read, he, he told 72 people, drop everything that you have, leave your house, leave everything, go out and tell people about the, the kingdom of God is at hand. And when they don't believe you, demonstrate God's power and authority to them. That doesn't sound boring. Sounds scary. Doesn't sound boring. See, God wants to give you an adventurous life. One where you actually get to know him and see him show up. And when you experience him showing up, there is nothing greater in this lifetime. The enemy wants to use fear, guilt, and shame to have you lead the standard definition of your life where you just kind of get through life, right? Like I just, like I'm gonna work in nine to five and we're gonna try and have some fun weekends and vacations and accomplish some things so that we raise kids who accomplish some things because if they don't accomplish things, we won't be proud of them. And then one day when we look back at our lives, we'll be glad that we all did some nice stuff. God says that's boring. He says Live your life in a way where you expect God to show up, where you risk something, where he has to show up, to live on an adventure with him, where it's like you've been looking at things in black and white, and all of a sudden it's full color, baby, and now you're asked to lead this life. Here's what he says in verses uh, 10, or 20, or verses 20 and 21 in Luke chapter 10. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to. He said, you think that's cool? Wait till you see this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Can you imagine what it's going to be like someday? This life is just a blip on the map compared to eternity with perfect communion with God and with other human beings. In the Bible, in the book of Revelation, when they try and make sense of what heaven is going to be like, it uses all this vivid imagery because it's just so beautiful and wonderful. We're not going to be able to believe it. And so the life we get now is to actually see God show up and and, and minister and move and work to not lead a a boring life, but an extraordinary one. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do, that those that approach the Lord as, as kids, you remember how when you were a kid, you used to be happy? Do you remember that? I know it was a long time ago for some of you. 
But you remember that. And it's not like I believe in Christian counseling and I believe that mental disorder is a very real thing and it's not always a spiritual thing. There, there are mental issues. I, I get that, absolutely. This isn't a self-help weekend, like I said. But, but the enemy would love to just allow you to sit in despair and to not be able to see the beautiful things in life, even in our pain and suffering. See, what the New Testament says, though, even though you suffer and you have pain, you can get over things. Little kids can get over things, and we get over them as followers of Jesus because our Heavenly Father helps us through those times. We, we shouldn't be distraught. We should be ecstatic. We can't imagine what heaven is going to be like. Verse 23, he says, then he turned to the disciples and said privately, guys, guys, get this. Blessed, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. He, he doesn't stop there. He goes on, for I tell you that many prophets and kings like the people in the Old Testament that heard from God and that had power and authority, the kings, they wished they had the opportunity that you and I have right now. He says, they wanted to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but not hear it. It's like they had to watch TV on the old television. If they knew what it was like to see a 4K, their minds would have been blown just a little bit to see something in full color and experience it the way that God intended for us to experience spiritually speaking that they would long to know God, that they could see God show up, but it was only after the crucifixion of Jesus, atoning, covering up for our mistakes that we could be forgiven and made right with a, a, a perfect God. It was only after he resurrected from the grave, overcoming death itself, that you and I could know we're gonna go to that special place in eternity in heaven with God where there'll be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. It'll be gone. And so when we experience those things now, the despair of this world, we can look at it differently than someone who has not experienced life with God. I know what despair is like. I know many of you in here, you've experienced it and you feel hopeless and broken and alone. When I gave my life to Christ 17 years ago, I got involved in ministry right away. And, and after college, I, I moved to Southern California to go to seminary. I started working at a large church in Southern California in the area of East LA, Pomona, P-Town, baby. Becca, P-Town, yeah, come on now. And if you don't know Pomona, uh, it's a, a town that has, has kind of turned to some violence over the last three decades. And, and it's improving, certainly. But the first year I was there, I, I saw... Uh, the police show up on our church campus, the property, because two teenagers who were in a gang, they were just kids, but they were in a gang and they'd been shot and they were trailing blood in, I know it's gross, but in the parking lot of the church building. We used to do prostitution ministry on the street that the building was on. Every Friday, if I was working, we would get schizophrenic and homeless and drug addicted people coming into the doors of the building because they knew that if they didn't do it, they'd have to wait till the end of the weekend to come back to ask for assistance and help. Like, I've seen it. Despair is real. I've even experienced it. When God called us to move to Indiana and start a church after we got here, my, uh, my wife went in for a checkup. She was about uh, 18 weeks pregnant, and she found out that our unborn son, our second child, his name was Jackson, had a genetic disorder, and he was, could die at any moment in the womb. And then we found out that the insurance we thought was going to transfer here actually didn't, and we didn't have any insurance. We moved here to start a church. We didn't know that many people yet. A lot of the people I'd known growing up weren't around, and, and it was just like, wow, God, why? 
And we began praying big prayers because we serve a God who can answer big prayers. And he began to answer some of those prayers and our son made it full term and he, he was born. And my wife began to keep a blog and over half a million hits occurred on her blog as she wrote about his story. And what happened next, the night he was born, the doctors told us he could die in any minute because he had a heart defect. And we began to pray and we believe God answered that prayer because the next day he didn't have that heart defect anymore. And a week later, he was still there. And they told us that if he could pass a breathing test, he'd get to go home with us. Can you believe that? And we knew God was answering our prayers because God loves to answer our prayers and, and to show up and to show off. And, and then something happened. After he'd answered so many prayers, he answered our, our next prayer in a way that we didn't want because he didn't pass the breathing test. And a week later, he died in that hospital, two weeks to the day of his birth. We didn't do anything with church planting for about a month. We were supposed to launch Mercy Road Church that was just meeting in our house at the time. We were supposed to launch it at Clay Middle School here in Carmel in like less than six months. When we came back, some of the launch team was, was gone because we'd been missing for so long. And, it, and we were just like, God, what are you doing? Why did you have us do this? Why did you call us here? Why did you have us experience this? You felt and experienced despair? I get it. The frustration that comes with it, the anger, we would cry every day, every day. I don't look at my son's story with sadness anymore. Let me tell you how this works. Not because it wasn't painful, not because I'd want to go through it again, not because suffering's not real. Those people are liars when they tell you that. But because we took some of that and we just said, God, we can't do this without you. Will you enter into our pain? You say that you want to give us life to the full. We want to experience your joy again. And here's what started happening. It was a process, but we started seeing people give their life to Christ because of our son's story. As we shared our faith through those broken times, even the pain. We saw people online, one woman who she considered herself a Wiccan witch chose not to abort her child and named him Jackson after our son. Another guy who was stationed in Afghanistan recommitted his life to Christ and sent us a flag that had flown over there in honor of our son. I began to share his story in different churches around the country and we literally saw hundreds of people give their life to Christ because of his story. I don't think that my son is up in heaven going, man, this place is awful. I don't wanna be here anymore. He's in heaven. I don't think he's up there going, man, I would have liked to have lived 70 plus longer years and had my life used less by God. He saw more people come to life in Christ because of his story in two weeks than most of us do in our lifetime. You see, when we allow God to enter into the pain and the suffering, it's a different perspective. It is not easy. It's not just positive thinking, but it's a different perspective of our pain and suffering. And you can begin to see the joy and the beauty of life again, even in the brokenness. I look at my son's story now as a thing of beauty because God can redeem even the terrible aspects of our lives. Maybe you're here today and you've been going through this life just chugging through leading that standard life, seeing things in black and white, and God isn't awakening you to the reality of the greater, extraordinary, adventurous life he calls you to, a life led to the full where you actually expect him and risk things to have him show up and show off in your life. 
And when you experience that type of life in full color, it makes you emotional, just like the man in this minute and a half video. Let's watch this together as we close this service. Don't break it. But maybe for some of us, you thought that this upset God wanted you to lead a Ned Flanders life so that you could be a good person, and it didn't sound enticing to you, and you've begun to realize that that standard boring life that you thought following Jesus meant is actually the polar opposite of what he calls us to, that he has come that you may have life and have it to the full, an amazing life full of color and beauty and where you see God show up both in the good and in the bad and you can celebrate both because you know one day this world will be put right. There will be no more crying or pain or suffering. There are no tears for my son up in heaven. He can't even do it if he wanted to because it's gone. There's only the joy of knowing the Lord. That's what happens as you begin to experience life in 4K through Jesus Christ. He calls you to this extraordinary life where he has to show up. The like he told those people in the verses that we read earlier, that the prophets and king would love to see what you see to be able to experience God now because of the resurrection of Jesus. The like the man who had been blind in John chapter 9, before the verse in John 10, it says this in verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know about Jesus. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. One thing I do know, before I gave my life to Christ, I would not have been able to go through my son's death the way that we did. I would not have been. I had been angry and frustrated and upset, and I would have lived most of the rest of my life exactly like that, blaming him, blaming other people, because I didn't know what it was like to know him, to see him redeem even the pain and the brokenness in my life. As we close in prayer and we sing a couple songs to worship him together, to invite him into our lives, maybe you're here and you're in despair. You feel alone and broken and you're somebody that isn't experiencing life to the full. It's not Jesus that desires you to live the way that you are living. He desires you to live life to the full abundantly in ways you couldn't imagine, but it takes you relying on him even in the pain and suffering. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. We give you this place. We give you our lives. 
I saw two more people surrendered their life to you just this morning on a cards in my office. And I don't even know why, God. But we know that you're here and that some of us, we have, we have misjudged you. We have misjudged what it means to follow you. And we want to begin to experience life to the full. And like that man who began to cry when he put the glasses on, some of us, we get emotional when we think about that, when we see you, when we experience you, when we feel you in our lives. And if that's you here right now, the Bible teaches us very clearly because of his resurrection from the grave, if you confess him as Lord of your life, you know that you have salvation eternally with him in heaven and he can reign in your life. Now you can get glimpses of heaven now. Life in 4K, if you desire that, I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. As we sang earlier, forgive me for all my mistakes and wrongdoing. Rid me of the fear the guilt, and the shame in my life. Give me life to the full. I surrender everything in my being to you. May you use me for years and decades to come. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name and all of God's family said, amen.